zero to $2,500, the financial cost of adopting a child through the foster care system. I'm your host, Marcy Bursack, and I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission to find more forever families. After blogging my journey, adopting a pair of siblings, I realized I knew countless people who had the desire to adopt, but believed it was too expensive. So I wrote The Forgotten Adoption Option, a self-reflection and how-to guide for pursuing foster care adoption. And I started this podcast. I am very delighted that you're tuning in. In season two, I'm dropping monthly episodes to teach you how to adopt U.S. children who are waiting for you in the foster care system. You might also enjoy the personal stories of adoptive parents and adopted children that I featured in season one. Now, whether now feels like the right time, the process feels overwhelming, or someone quickly comes to mind to share this with, I am here for you. I am America's foster care adoption mentor, and I am eager to help you fulfill a child's dream of having a forever family. Welcome to the Forgotten Adoption Option podcast. I am very excited because in this episode, I'm interviewing the legendary Denise Goodman. Now, you might not be familiar with her, but I did some research a few months ago and I was enthralled because to me, Denise seemed like a heart whisperer and you'll find out why here shortly. Over the course of her 40 plus year career in the child welfare system, she has learned a thing or two about recruiting foster and adoptive families, and she knows where to look and how to invite adults to care for children in foster care. Welcome to the show, Denise. Thank you so much, Marcy. Appreciate it. I am so appreciative of you taking time to share so much that you know. And Denise, our listeners, I know, are eager because they're going to assess themselves and hopefully their friend and family networks to see whether they might be a future adoptive family. So I'm thinking in the spirit of like a Harry Potter Hogwarts house quiz, maybe you can answer these questions to help listeners identify who they know that might be a good fit as a foster or adoptive parent. So we can kind of figure out if it's us or if it's someone we know, or maybe both. So before we get started, can you share what led you into a career with the child welfare system? Well, actually, Marcy, it was an accident. I have to be honest, my undergraduate degree is in education because I really wanted to work with kids. I had done a lot of babysitting and volunteering with uh, children and young and teens, you know, uh, myself as I was younger. And so, um, but I realized as I did my student teaching that they really weren't encouraging me to you know, really get connected to the kids. And so after I graduated, I took a job at our county's children's shelter and um, I fell in love with it. I really liked being able to use my relationship to help the kids trust and to support them and to help them grow and heal from what they've experienced. And that led to, you know, a promotion or a different job and uh, moved to uh, Columbus, Ohio after several years, many years working child welfare and, um, you know, actually became a foster parent down here in Columbus and loved that as well. And I only fostered teens, which is really uh, exciting and fun. So since then, I've had the good fortune of working with uh, families and youth uh, across the United States and Canada to um, help, you know, again, locate families for kids because uh, every every uh, child, every teenager needs a family for the rest of their lives. And that's been my work and continues to be. 
And I love that it hasn't just been the work that you've done, like as a career, but the fact that you mentioned that you yourself have walked this path is so cool because I'm sure that's brought insights into it that have led you maybe in directions that you kind of know in like a, a sixth sense because you've you've known how to do this firsthand. Right. I you know certainly uh, seeing from the both sides of the fence, both as a social worker and as a parent, and the fact that there are I've uh, encouraged members of my family to become foster and adoptive parents. That just seeing the supports and the encouragement and education that they need as well as uh, understanding what they need from a system to help them be successful. So both sides of the fence. That's so beautiful. So Denise, being who you are and having the experiences you have, what are qualities that you look for in foster and adoptive parents? Right. I think uh, one important quality is their ability to make that lifelong commitment to a child or to a teen. You know, we don't stop needing families or parents when we become 18 or 21. And it's easy to be committed when things are going well and kids are bringing home good grades and everybody's doing their chores and homework. But it's really, I think, uh, critical to be committed when times are hard and there are challenges and the kid's refusing to do their homework or their um having a bad attitude or they're, you know, getting into fights with their siblings. So to me, I think commitment is really a critical, critical thing. Um, Another piece I think is really important is the fact to be very child focused and and young person focused, because a lot of times if people are coming to be a foster adoptive parent because they're wanting to benefit from it, that's not going to be a good thing. But to recognize that, you know what, I may not get a thanks, I may not get a hug, I may not get an I love you, or I might not see gratitude uh, for a very, very long time as I develop this relationship and attachment with this child or teen. And so, I mean, they're able to delay their own gratification is a really important thing. I often ask people that, you know, I'm training uh, social workers, you know, when did you get grateful? For your parents, and many of us did not get grateful for our own parents until we became adults, moved out, and had our own kids. And uh, so, it shouldn't be anything different than that in fostering or adopting. I think a sense of humor is essential. Um, I think you know sometimes you're just going to have to laugh at something, you know, as opposed to getting frustrated or uh, upset or crying about it. Um, I think resourceful. So that, you know, it's like my child needs this service or my teen needs that resource, that I'm going to be able to track it down in my community and get what I need, that I'm going to be a great advocate for my child, for example, in the school system, to make sure that my child is getting what they need educationally uh, is always an important uh, piece of it. And the fact that they have kind of an open family system, that they're going to welcome people to come in and help them that they're going to be motivated to learn more so they become um, effective parents uh, for their children. So just a few things that I think are really important. I think parenting in and of itself is a hard job. And I just remember one parent telling me that my greatest days uh, in my life have been from being a parent. I've had my highest highs, but I've also had the biggest challenges from being a parent. And they were not a foster adoptive parent. They were raising biological children. So certainly I think the same holds true when we're talking about foster care and adoption, that you can stick with it and um, and appreciate and enjoy and savor the great days, but yet 
double down and work through those tough times. That's so interesting because I know some of our listeners are folks who already have parented and some have experience with kids and some are maybe single or married, but no kids. Right. And so the, the key qualities I heard you say were having a sense of humor and really being able to kind of get back up again, right? Like that the given any sort of pushback or delay or difficulty, realizing that there's like a tenacity to who these people are. And then I also heard you point out people who are more of like a learner. So they're willing to go figure out how to do something or who to talk to or, or garner, as you said, being resourceful. So if that is you, listener, it sounds like you yeah. already said yes to part of the quiz. Yeah. That might be you. Yeah, if you're the person that likes to build things or rebuild things, then, you know, just think about it. You're building up a child, you're rebuilding a child and helping them uh, grow and develop. You know, this is for you, for sure. So, Denise, where are some unexpected places you find people who might want to foster or adopt? And I, I kind of set the stage here with, is someone who recruits, I know you do this work in your way, and I, I do this work in in, in kind of complementary ways to what you're doing, trying to find people who might have a bend towards this type of opportunity. Where do you go looking for, for individuals? It's kind of like the visa card, you know, a foster adoptive parents are anywhere that they want to be. I mean, we have foster parents uh, in every nook and cranny job community. Uh, they're all over. I mean, and I always talk to recruiters about it's our job to put this message in front of them, you know, I mean, a lot of times recruiters will, will go to churches, you know, or to schools and everything. But you know what? I think it's important to partner with businesses who can help us spread the word. You know, there are, there are many people who maybe um, being a full-time foster adoptive parent is, is, is not for them for whatever reason, but everybody can help spread the word about this. Um, I, I take the opportunity to talk to people anytime, everywhere, I go. I mean, there's times that I've checked into a hotel and people have asked me, you know, are you here for business or whatever? And I'll say, this is what I do. And I stood at the front desk of the hotel for an hour talking to somebody about what it is I do. I've actually talked to people in an Uber, in the Uber driver. I was, I was in working in Las Vegas and uh, the Uber driver, oh, you're here for pleasure? I said, no, I'm here for business. What do you do? I told her, she was, oh, I was a foster parent in California. So why aren't you a foster parent here? And so I was able to recruit her. I, um, I said, you, you contact me. I gave her a card and I connected her with somebody in Las Vegas. So I think it's just um, people in every walk of life are able to do it. Some people don't think that they could be because they are single. We have plenty of single foster and adoptive parents. Some people think because, you know, oh, we, we're, we're remarried and we have step and I have stepchildren. No, you can become a foster adoptive parent or I'm gay or lesbian. So there are people from every kind of walk of life that could become foster parents. But I think it's just getting that message out there, looking on social media. You know, we're doing more and more now on social media because uh, when I started over 40 45 years ago, we didn't have social media. I mean, people would look in the phone book or a billboard, but now we have those other avenues that we're able to use. But I do believe just, you know, talking to people, you know, oftentimes when I'm traveling for business, sitting next to somebody on a plane, I start a conversation with them. I think that there are times when people never even thought about it, but they meet a child or a young person 
who needs a family and they and it's like well why not me and that's why i always ask people it's like why not you why not now you know to start that process to become a foster adoptive parent those are great questions and on your note of you know how how these conversations like you make it a point to have them it sounds like daily denise which is really cool i was just talking to my kids recently about this and in my book the forgotten adoption option i refer to them as big brother and little sister and my son um was in fifth grade last year and he decided to write about foster care adoption Mm -hmm. in a paper project and he was telling me how he ended the paper with I think it's important to talk about this because every child deserves a family and it created some really interesting dialogue between him and his teacher who was like this is kind of a big topic maybe this isn't a good paper topic and he's like but I was adopted and so if we can help kids my age be aware of this it Mm -hmm. helps them go home and tell their families right and it helps it helps more people potentially realize how great of an opportunity this is and how they can do it too. So I love that you're, yeah, it sounds like my son is following in your footsteps. Like he's trying to bring it in all the ways he can at school. That's right. Good for him. Absolutely. And he's a great representative of, uh, of uh, adoption. That's absolutely. He's living, he's a living truth right there. I fully agree. Now our listeners might be like, Marcy, there's some weird sound in the background. Denise said I checked in on this. So she's got a dog. Her name is Annie and she's snoozing nearby. So if you hear a little noise, it's just Annie taking a nap while we talk. So I don't know. I figured if Denise and I were in my like house in my living room, I would have my dogs probably barking in the background and one of them snores real loud too. So if that's what you're hearing, folks, you are hearing Denise's precious dog, Annie. <laughs> Snooze. While we take our quiz, which is so great. So Denise, if a listener maybe has been turned off because they wanted to foster or adopt, but had a negative experience, for instance, maybe they tried to call an organization and they said, we don't do that, or they never heard back, or they, they read that story online that we all have seen, right? That it spun everything in a dark light, right? What encouragement would you give to people that are a little more reserved about it or had a bad taste the first time? Don't give up. I think that is one of the most critical things to be thinking about. You know, you may have called an agency who somebody was filling in answering the phone or somebody was having a cranky day that day. Do not give up. And one of the things, uh, in fact, family members, my niece and her husband who adopted, when they were beginning their journey, I told them, I said, you need to call several agencies. I'm just I'm just going to tell you that up front. Just call several different agencies and, you know, listen to their information. See how they received you. You know, how engaging were they? And once you call several agencies and you've done that kind of survey of agencies on your own, then pick the one that you felt the best about because it's the beginning of a long relationship. And so I, I would say, you know, don't give up. Also, I would say, well, go back to the drawing board, get on the internet, Google foster care adoption, because there are so many different agencies. There's public agencies that are uh, in every state, in every county. Um, There are a plethora of private organizations, private agencies that do foster care adoption. There are agencies that do international adoption, that do infant domestic domestic adoption that do foster care adoption so to me do some research read their websites you know uh talk to the people that you know at work in your neighborhood at your church in your family who have fostered and adopted and find out 
you know, how they feel about their agency. So you can get that firsthand referral from somebody who's currently experienced it. But don't give up. I mean, it's if I go to a restaurant and I, I didn't like the service or I didn't think their food was that good, it's not like I'm never going to eat out again. Trust me. <laughs> I will just go to an, I'll just find a better restaurant to go to uh, to get uh, get that meal I want for sure. So that's that's what I would do. I would just, again, don't give up. Just, just go back. And that was not the agency you were meant to be with. That's great advice. And I'll add to that because I have heard privately from a number of people across the country that are frustrated in this space. And if that's you and you feel like, okay, but I don't even know who to ask because that's some of us too, that we're like, I don't know anyone that did this. I was in that boat. I'm like, I didn't know anyone that did this. So if that is you, please reach out. Um, I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. I am happy to help you figure out a great organization to go with in your state. And furthermore, I have a private Facebook community called the Forgotten Adoption Option. We actually just recently helped someone in Illinois that was faced in a similar space on this exact topic. So feel free to jump in. Um, I am here to support you. And I know if I can't figure it out, Denise is a phone call away. So we, we want to help you find a good fit and to be able to move forward. So great advice, Denise. Yeah. And the other thing too, is there are uh, large uh, national organizations who have relationships with people across the United States and Canada, Um, you know, North American Council on Adoptable Children, NACAC, NACAC is it's called. If you put in NACAC, see adoption in Google, you can connect, you could call them and they are very familiar with people across the United States. They can say, hey, these people are really great. Call them or the National Foster Parent Association or Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. And they can connect you with somebody in your local area. So that's why all the time when I'm you know, traveling and I, I, I wear a, a lot of foster care and adoption t-shirts that people will ask me about. You know, and uh, oh, oh, you know, did, did you adopt? Oh, I'm an adoptive parent. I'm interested in fostering. And I always give them my card and say, you contact me and I will connect you with someone. I actually was on the phone with Delta, you know, changing flights around during COVID as things happen. And I was on the line with the Delta representative for about an hour talking about uh, foster care and adoption because they were getting to be empty nesters and didn't feel that they were finished parenting. So I said, hey, I can help you with that. And we talked a while, and I said, you have all my contact information. I'm going to go home and talk to my wife tonight. It's excellent. You Because we were just talking about that. Great. I will hook you up with somebody. I think it was in Florida. I, I know people there. I'll hook you directly up with somebody uh, personally. So, yeah, we're there for you to, to get you where you need to go. Absolutely. And it's interesting you point at empty nesters. If that's your story, listeners, uh, please go back to season one. I had Jane and one. So they were in that boat. They they were empty nesters. And even Pam, Pam, who adopted a sibling set of seven group of seven, mm. um, they all were not done parenting. They had grown kids, but wanted to continue. And Denise, before we move on to the next question, you pointed out NACAC. And if I remember doing some research on you, aren't you like the president of this group? Well, yeah, you caught me. I'm <laughs> I'm actually the president of the board for the North American Council on Adoptable Children. So. I've been a long-term colleague and advocate and partner of that organization, long-term, yeah. So rad. Wow, I just want to say thank you, because I'm like, you're giving us great information, but you're also digging in and doing work in spaces that helps all of us benefit. So that's that's so cool. 
Okay. So maybe you can help this one. Some people might think, well, I don't know. Do I want to get one child or do I want to get a sibling group? And if it's a sibling group, how many do I want to get? And my husband and I had this conversation because he said, we can do one or two kids, no more than two. And I said, well, I want siblings then because then we can do it together. And that's what we did. But it can be difficult to know what, what kind of um, design am I looking for, right? Like what, what kind of opportunity am I looking for? Do you have any suggestions for listeners that are like, I, I like the idea of helping a group of kids, whether that's two or five or seven or whatever the number is, or that feels overwhelming. How do we know if that's us? Well, obviously, I mean, uh, there are many, many groups of brothers and sisters uh, who need uh, a temporary home or a permanent home. Um, and, and again, that, that's a whole discussion that you have with your spouse or partner. Uh, I also think that's something where working with the social worker can help you decide, you know, what's the best uh, age and gender and number of kids uh, that will best uh, fit in your family. Um, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of people and um, really encourage them to think about brothers and sisters. Uh, so that I, I think it's really just a, it's the longest relationship of your life and it would be just heartbreaking to think about separating brothers and sisters. Um, totally agree. Totally agree. You know, to me, I think it's just an important thing. However, that being said, we also have some kids who are just there by themselves, you know, and so they do, they come in one at a time. So to me, I think that's a little soul searching everybody needs to do. You know, do I think I have the, the, uh, parenting skills, the uh, space in my home, the energy and ability to invest in one child, or could I invest in more than one? And I've seen single parents who've taken sibling groups, so don't rule yourself out if you're a single parent and think, I can only do one child. Um, so, you know, as a, as a single parent, as a foster parent, you know, I had multiple teenagers, but again, you know, they were older, they were a little self-supervising and uh, went to school and everything. So it's that that worked for me. That was the experience that I had in my life was with teenagers, and I enjoyed uh, groups of teenagers together. So that that was definitely what worked for me. But again, I think it's something that you begin to get information, do a self-assessment, talk amongst yourselves at home. Um, also thinking about if there are children that you already have in the home, you know, what space would you have available, and how do those children feel about teens feel about adding more kids and older or younger. So it is something that, again, is, is, is part of the process and the journey is figuring out who's going to best fit my family. But I will put a plug in for brothers and sisters. I just think it's so important. And, um, you know, I've, I've said to people many times, friends of mine who've gone through the process, no, you're not going to, you're not going to cherry pick one kid out of the group. It's a package deal. And so, um, you know, and they really were happy in the end that they chose to take the siblings together because it's so much easier on the kids. And whatever is easier on the kids is easier on parents. Now, are they going to are they going to fuss and fight? Sure, because that's what siblings do. And that's right. where you learn a lot of stuff from that. Right. But they will be your, your siblings. Your brothers and sisters will be your biggest allies, your biggest supporters. And I can tell you now, as somebody who is on Medicare, that uh, my siblings are we're tight. We're tight because uh, our parents are gone, but we're still there for each other for the rest of our lives, for sure. That's, those are such good points. I, I agree with you on the sibling piece. And one 
piece of information that I think could really change people's understanding in this space is something I didn't learn until way further in the process because you mentioned investing in and and so much of what that's intended to express in the foster care adoption space is investing with your time and your energy and your love. I think sometimes people don't understand that in the foster care adoption space, your expenses shouldn't be the investment because because of resources that our government provides, right. be it healthcare, education, et cetera, there shouldn't be a financial investment that you have to make in order to think, okay, I can afford one kid versus five. It shouldn't be a money question because there's that's kind of support for you. So you can dig more on that. You can reach out to learn more, but I just wanted to make sure our listeners... Yes. knew that there there are resources for you regardless of how many children you decide to care for. Absolutely. And to me, I actually have this little plaque at here at home, and it says the best thing you can spend on children is time. And that's, I'm talking about that time and energy commitment investment that uh, you'll make in a child's future. That's the part that's really critical, that uh, being there for them, you know, in- introducing them to experiences they never had. People would say to me all the time, oh, it's so bad you take teens because you missed out on the first. No, I savored the first many mm-hmm. took for granted. The first time they ever made the honor roll, the first time that they, I took a couple, I grew up in South Jersey and I took a couple kids to down the shore and it was the first time as older teenagers they'd ever seen the ocean they were like little kids i mean the first time we ever ate at a really nice restaurant because everybody passed everything that rainy period you know it was just those their eyes were wide open yes but yet they were older teens that had never had it you know being part of their first formal dance that they went to you know helping them get that first job i loved those things you know and everything so to me Again, it, you do get a lot of support for our, our kids. You know, we want to make sure uh, from a governmental perspective that money never stands in the way of a young person, a child having that lifelong family. So good. I feel like you and my husband are kindred spirits. I get chills as you were sharing your perspective of first because in my book, the forgotten adoption option, we talk about that because we've gotten asked that for our kids. Like, well, you missed their first step and you missed their first word. I'm like, yeah, I don't know those answers, but I do know when they had their first Sunday and I do know when they went down the escalator for the first time. And you're right. Like there's these beautiful memories, like honor roll and a nice restaurant that are really Mm -hmm. special moments, regardless of the age that our children are. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Wow. Okay. Well, so some of our listeners have already adopted through foster care or they fostered and they, they may or may not be aware that they are a great advocate to help find more families. So what can people do to recruit others in their circles to follow in their footsteps and to also foster or adopt? I, I, again, talk about it, you know, be proud that you have chosen to be a foster adoptive parent. Um, I actually was speaking to a large group of foster parents the other night, and I challenged them. And I said, you know, because we had young people, uh, young adults who have uh, either been adopted or had been in foster care who are now in their, uh, well, I would say 20, 21, 22 speaking. And I challenged the audience. We had a very large audience, and I challenged each of them to speak to five people about what they heard tonight mm. there. 
is to just say, hey, I heard this young person that was just extraordinary. And you know what they said? That they never thought about they could ever go to college until they came into foster care. And their foster parents introduced them to that idea that you can, you're a smart kid. You can go to college, man. And so to me, I think just talking about it and, and everything. I know that sometimes people are kind of private and uh, maybe want to keep their family business close at hand. But there is a benefit to people knowing that uh, you have successfully navigated the process and done it. I think uh, being able to uh, bear witness to it so that if you're able to um, share your story, uh, you know, whether it is in a blog or whether it is, you know, on your Facebook page to uh, post things on your social media, uh, you know, about, you know, did you know Superman had adoptive parents or little provocative things <laughs> or sharing when you know because you've gotten information from the agency when there's going to be an orientation or information night and encouraging people to go. You know, I, I actually had a foster parent one time who actually um, brought people to orientation and attended. Wow. So she actually would uh, gather people up. She would have a little uh, little coffee talk in her in her house and she'd say we're going to go to this together next week and it would be her friends her co-workers people who were her you know went to church with her and neighbors um and she would just encourage Amy, you know what i'm going to go with you so they would go as a group and they became a nice little support group for each other after they went through the process so i think talking about it is really important i think you know being able to partner with uh, the recruiter at an agency to say look the next time you go out to speak in public i'd sure like to i'd be glad to go with you and share my experience about that um to be willing to be interviewed for the newspaper or be on a radio program to talk about being a foster or adoptive parent there's a lot of mythology out there and i i always try to remind people who are doing recruitment that, you know, we, we live in the child welfare world. It's like a secret society almost where, you know, uh, the general public doesn't know the, the truth about who the kids are and what the needs are. And, you know, there's a, a lot of mythology out there about it costs a bazillion dollars to adopt a child. If you adopt from the foster care system, it does not cost anything. And so to me, I think being able to uh, kind of dispel some of the, the falsehoods that are out there is a really important job of our current families. Not to say that there's not hard moments and there's not challenging moments, and yes, there is paperwork, but you could also be that mentor and shepherd to get them through the process. It's a great perspective. I remember when I felt like I should blog about my family's foster care adoption journey, I was a little reserved about it because I thought, well, this really isn't anyone's business, right? Like I wanted, I, I wanted to protect my kids. I wanted to protect right. my stuff, you know, put on social media is there forever. Um, and you can find stuff. And my husband and I set two ground rules. We agreed one, we would never use our kids' names on stuff, but we would actually never explain why they were in care because we're like, that's actually not our story. That's their story. Right. Um, and then we also agreed we would never say anything mean or negative about the biological family. And that, at least for us, felt good as a way to share about what was going on, at least in public formats with a little bit of boundary. So there wasn't, you know, that you weren't divulging too much in a way that felt harming to someone else. So I love what you mentioned about like just talking about it um, to five people, that challenge. Right. I think, I think you made some really great 
for yourselves. And I think, you know, if we're going to talk about publicly that we talk about our own as adults and parents are part of the journey with the process. And again, you're absolutely right that those are the, the kids' stories for them to decide when and if and how they'll share that information. But, you know, it, it's the simple fact is these are kids who needed uh, a safe place to be or to grow exactly. up in, and we offer that. You know, the rest is, at this point, you know, not important. They just needed a place, and we there, and this was our journey to become their parents, you know, and that's that to me is the important part that the folks need to hear is what our journey was about and how we navigated the system and what we learned, and hindsight's always twenty twenty and and I actually believe that COVID has taught us as social workers, social workers and social service agencies a lot about how can we be flexible to support people to get through the process. You know, you don't have to bring your paper, you don't have to bring all your documentation anymore. You can scan it and email it. You could take a picture of your phone and upload it. So there's lots of things that uh, I think people have learned some ways to make it be uh, a little less painful in terms of gathering all the documentation and the questions and everything. And I think it's always important that if people are going through the process that they have somebody to lean on. I know when my niece and her husband were going through the process of becoming uh, first certified foster parents and then approved adoptive parents that she would call me all the time. You know, they had to, they asked us this question. Yes, they're supposed to. Well, they're, yes, they're supposed to. They ask us this. We never thought about that before. I said, that's why they ask it. So it is, you know, to me, having somebody who's going to reassure you that this is the way it works and you're okay is important. That's great. Well, Denise, as we wrap up, I want to just ask one more question and what you just shared, where people are surprised at what the social worker is asking them. Can you share an example or two about some of those questions that our listeners might be like, oh, okay, we'll be asked that, but at least I know and I can start thinking how I might answer. Right. What are some of those questions that kind of surprise people? Excuse me, surprise people. Right. Well, of course, you know, uh, you're going to be asked about your own upbringing because uh, I think the, the vast majority of people learn about being parents from their own parents and to reflect upon what you think was effective and what was ineffective. And I can tell you that, you know, thinking about growing up and saying, I will never say that to my kids and somehow channeled that myself, my, channeled my mother at times. So part of it is that your perspective of that, I think, is really important. Um, I think talking about how you create relationships and how you maintain and sustain relationships is an important part because why? We're asking you to create and maintain a relationship with this child or this teen. So you want to get a sense of what that track record is. I think the one that uh, kind of kind of freaks people out a little bit is when we ask about, you know, your, your sexual growth and development. And it's really not wanting the nitty gritty of what happens in the bedroom. It's more about what your attitudes are around um, sex and how you were taught about sex and reproduction and all things because um, we do have children who perhaps have been exposed to sexual behaviors before they were, you know, socially or developmentally ready for that. And so we want to make sure that you'll be able to support a child to heal from if they've been sexually victimized. So that one always kind of trips people up. Of course, we want to ask about finances and things, um, mostly because we want to make sure that uh, you're in, in a stable place. Um, because kids do cost money, and while you do get support, um, financially it never covers 100% of the cost of caring for a child. 
So those are things I think that kind of pull up. Always the background information, you know, have you ever been arrested, have you ever been convicted? And that is federal law that we have to ask those kind of questions. And just to ensure that um, we're not putting kids in harm's way. But that's not to say if you haven't had a little brush with the law, that's going to prevent you from being a foster adopted parent. As certainly uh, we have lots of people who made, you know, some bad choices when they were 19 and now they're 35, so, you know, people do get some forgiveness and grace. But those are some questions I think that sometimes throw people for a loop uh, a little bit. But, you know, the best thing is just to be honest, just to be open. Um, you know, uh, I think many times uh, agencies are able to make you feel comfortable uh, about those questions and to reassure you. But we ask them of everybody. So I don't want anybody uh, that's listening right now to feel like you're somehow being picked on by being asked these questions that everybody gets the same questions. Denise, this has been so good on so many levels. One, I think people have been able to think, oh, those are the kind of characteristics of people. Oh, those are questions I might get asked. And oh, I can I can do something about this right now. As you said earlier, like everyone might not be called to, to adopt or foster, but you can talk about it and you can share about it. So this was quite enlightening, and I hope that our listeners feel excited to talk about it, research more, ask friends, reach out. And Denise, your time and your experience is such a gift, and I am so grateful that you replied to my email and were open to letting me pick your brain. Oh, yeah. you, you are a hero in this space, and I really admire the work you're doing, and I'm so grateful for all that you do on behalf of children who are waiting to be adopted. And, and I hope that, you know given the, you know, being early in the new year that all of you who perhaps did not make a New Year's resolution would make one right now to at least take that first step to find out in your area, uh, local area, uh, about becoming a foster or adoptive parent. And there's a lot, even being a respite foster parent, which means, you know, uh, being there when a foster parent needs a break or has to go out of town for an emergency uh, to be there to do that. And uh, to take that first step as your New Year resolution. If you made a resolution already, it's okay. You can make another one. And everybody can always support a foster adoptive family. You know, whether that is uh, sponsoring a child to go to camp, whether that is, um, you know, I was so fortunate uh, as a foster parent that I was able to have a friend who was a math teacher who came over and tutored my kids in math because that's my short, that, I just don't do math. And so I was able, that, that's how they supported me and my kids was to help them with their algebra and calculus homework that I had no clue about. So everybody can always support a foster adoptive family, even if you can't be one full time. So we need a lot of allies. We need a lot of supporters to, around our families to help them and the, and the children and teens be successful. Well said. This was awesome. As a listener of the Forgotten Adoption Option podcast, you are helping raise awareness about foster care adoption and the 120,000 adoptable children in the United States. By leaving a review, subscribing, sharing, and talking about this podcast, you can help a child find their forever family. If you'd like more information on adopting a child or sibling group through the foster care system, please visit my website, ForgottenAdoptionOption.com. There you will find how to get started 
And you can even order a copy of my book, The Forgotten Adoption Option, which will guide you through the entire process. You can pick from paperback, audio, and ebook formats, and you might be able to find my book at your local library. I welcome you to reach out with questions, comments, and your own adoption story. I would love to hear if you're signing up for training and where you are in the foster care adoption process. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Just search for Marcy Bursack. I really appreciate you tuning in, caring, and sharing because every child deserves a family.